And also right and wrong doesn't mean anything until you're at the final product, mm. right? Like in the process, mm. so much is going to be wrong, whatever that means. And then those wrong things might be right by the time you get to the end. You know, it's mm. like create creative processes. It's a winding path. It is not a straight, it's not a throughway. you know, start to finish. There are detours and oftentimes you, you end up making something you didn't set out to make in the first place. It's zooming out and then trying to trying to get rid of the feeling of right and wrong as connected to yourself. Maybe right and wrong for the project, but that's not you. Welcome everybody to the Faking Notes Podcast. Faking Notes, Notes podcast. podcast. Faking Notes Podcast. Today as always, a very special episode. Oh, yeah. So we have on one of my former mentors, Drone Begin. So just the brief backstory, he's the music guru in the dance division at Juilliard. So he coordinates, he writes, he kind of advises this whole department on music. Why we wanted to bring him on here is he is a true creative. He is insanely pr prolific and is, has an, a huge list of collaborations. We're talking Juilliard, Sacramento Ballet, Richmond Ballet, Alabama, Zephyr Dance, Santa Cruz Ballet Theater, San Jose Theater, just to name a few. And that's just in the United States. He has international concert and theater releases that have gone around the world. He's worked with some of the biggest names in dance, the biggest choreographers. He's worked in theater. He has a background in theater. He seems like one of us. And just a few years down the road. And he talks about going through, like, not getting into a Juilliard. And then just a few years later, winding up teaching at a Juilliard. He has an incredible career. And he's at a turning point. He's now starting to release that. So at least we both can kind of relate to that. Getting his work out there. He's super fascinating. He's, we got a lot of advice coming in about how to have an effective collaboration. How to be creative and how to navigate the new world of music as we have it. Yeah, let's just let's just also call attention to Those Remade. It's an album that he released this year on Spotify. Uh, so definitely go out there and bump it, bump it, bump it, y'all. So you can find him, all of his links through his website, JeromeBegin.com. He's pretty active on Instagram. Check him out mm -hmm. on Spotify. He's got a new album coming up uh, just a few months away. With Since mm -hmm. he's releasing content, it is coming out there. You're going to love it. My former teacher, one of my mentors and biggest influences, Jerome Begin. Enjoy. going all right how are you oh doing oh my goodness look at all those scents it's beautiful uh, there's some scents yeah i'm in my studio <laughs> this is the studio out in the is it in greenpoint or it used to be in greenpoint it is now in um it's now in uh ridgewood oh sure okay how long does it take for you to get to it is it i can walk here in like 15 minutes oh that's that's Which, the dream it's it's amazing it's been it's 
it's made the pandemic um, survivable. <laughs> Drew, it's nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you, Jerome. It's I don't think pleasure. we ever. I don't think we've ever, ever crossed paths at Juilliard. No, I was only there for two years. So. Yeah, and usually if I when I cross paths with the musicians, it's either in uh, choreo comp or the mm-hmm. mentoring program. I did the choreo comp, uh, but with uh, with a with a. Lewis, what's his last name? Cruz, Lewis Cruz. Cr- Lewis Cruz, yes. You Lewis played Cruz. in Lewis's? I, I yeah, totally I did. forgot that too. And uh, William Stackpole. Okay. Yeah. But also yeah. that week is such a mad dash because it's a surge of all those performers yeah. and composers panicking and lights and costumes. <laughs> and it's snowing outside. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're tracking down comp tickets, but uh, are, are you uh, rolling on your end? Yes, I am. Can I start with a question? Sure. I, I haven't been in New York in two years. And I just saw on Twitter that the the um the the Lincoln tunnel is like mm-hmm. leaking. So on a scale from one to ten, like how freaked out are you about that? <laughs> uh I I this is the first I'm hearing of it. Whoa, really? Yeah. Oh my god. You gotta go. You gotta go check it out, man. Like there's water <laughs> gushing. Into the Lincoln Tunnel. Is it really? Is it really yeah. gushing? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't actually read the news today, which is, I've been trying to do a little bit less of the news reading every day. Um, a wise decision. There's also something about like hearing about news in your own city. Like I would always receive both in New York and L.A. I would never find out anything that's happening unless like a family friend or my parents are like, "Are you okay? Is everything okay?" Like you never know. Like, oh, there was this thing back <laughs> right. in New York. I was like, I don't, I didn't know. I just get back on the subway. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so true. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. But um, how much does that freak me out? That's pretty scary. Um, you know, it, putting it in, in context of like a global pandemic and mass protests, social upheaval, and a maniac in the White House, you know, add, add, add one more to the list. You know, it's disaster bingo. I had anybody have disaster B, bingo. and we're all winning. Anybody have B? Yeah. We're all winning. <laughs> we all have bingo. <laughs> I'm just trying to fill up my board at this point. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to say thank you for joining us here on the Faking Notes podcast, right, Trevor? Thank you for coming on out. This is the Faking Notes podcast. By this yes, point, indeed. we'll have already introed you. And cool. What's neat about this, too, is that you've actually listened to the pod before. <laughs> I have, quite a bit. We give you lots of, of credit. Uh, I remember the, one of the first messages was uh, Drew and I, we were spitballing, trying to think of our listener mail segment name. And you're just, you have to call it real mail. And that's that's what it is. So you you received full, you received full credit for that. Full Faking marks. Faking notes, real mail. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. I think my idea was real notes. But real mail real works. Notes. Real notes. I kind of like. I like that. We can switch even more, it. Trevor. So we can do whatever we want. This is Trevor. We're faking. Yeah, it's you know what? It's your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we exclusively live off user feedback. So yeah, I do. I do. I've listened to a bunch of the episodes. Um, I I started listening just because Trevor and I have kept in touch a, a bit over over Instagram and things like that since he graduated. But I, you know. I got to know you a little bit at Juilliard and I always thought you were a super interesting guy and really funny. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Trevor has a podcast? What what's he what's he doing? And so I checked out a couple episodes and I and I was like, oh, this is really, this is really interesting. Like 
because you were talking about um you you guys were directly talking about so many of the issues that that all of the students at Juilliard and you know and any arts conservatory are going to be facing you know mm-hmm. they i see a lot of the undergrads earlier and earlier with just like deer in headlights about like what am i going to do after i graduate and this is like this is pre pandemic mm-hmm. you know you could see that like what what am I going to do when I get out of here? And to hear the two of you kind of, you know, discussing the things that have been successful for you and being so open about the insecurity and the uh, challenge and the excitement of all of it at the same time was, I, I was like, this is, this is really cool. And you guys are both really funny. So <laughs> thank you so much. Oh my God. Thanks for coming on oh, the show. And uh, we'll, yeah. we'll talk to you. <laughs> so we, so we got what we needed. Yeah. We yes. got our sound yeah. bite. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Take care. Stay healthy, everybody. It was, really, it was really great. It was really great. One, I mean, there's of course so many things we want to touch on, but I, I mean this in in both senses. Whenever we first came out with this podcast, and we were kind of goofing off, but it kind of blends between very serious. What are we interested in? Um, to just winding between jokes. When when we first posted about, it, I was like, uh oh, like what is my family going to think? What are my friends going to think? And then to have a a former teacher of mine. Be like, hey, I listened to it. I was like, uh oh. But I was so happy it was you because you really feel like, you know, one of us. And uh, I will say, it's an honor. Like, one of my, I was like super excited and why we've kept in touch with, because of course, like in school for one class for this one particular program, we're not going to have as many uh, like opportunities to interact, but you still stood out as one of my like favorite teachers to to both uh, learn from to talk to to speak to oh. and i don't just say that because you're in front of me on the zoom call <laughs> and we're recording but i i mean that on all seriousness because uh to me i was when i think of a true creative you're what comes to mind oh wow well shucks thank you <laughs> Stay healthy, everybody. Uh, yes. So now you have your sound bit. Yeah. This just isn't not, so. That's for you. That's for you to put right. in your bio now. John Hunt, come through. No, that 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 is really that's that's mind blowing to hear. That that means a lot. Um, now that we've just we've both dropped statements, but to set you up with questions, right. one of the things I've at least noticed is that you really you really go there. You seem un unrestricted by barriers, and I thought that was pretty interesting and like for all these pieces opening them up and like allowing students to kind of go out and try new things so just a a little bit of backspace so you're one of the teachers of the choreo comp putting both together composers and performers and then providing them an opportunity a space and a performance multiple performances in fact and yeah. costume lights. And so for a lot of us, that was a very new experience and often the first actual chance to collaborate. And so for me, that was such a big moment to to finally like work with someone, really go down to a, a deeper level, not just write a piece, me live, go on, and then someone else does what they want with it, but to truly collaborate. And then really changed my life and career. Uh, since then, that's almost all I do mm-hmm. is work with someone. So you were part of that vessel, but to, to open up access to students to go out and do these types of things was uh, like one of the most valuable things I experienced while at Juilliard. 
Oh, that's uh, great. That's that's exactly that's, that's why the class is there. <laughs> um, for I mean, I know things things are changing a little bit with at Juilliard now, and there's there's more of a push for sort of interdisciplinary things. But as far as I know, it is still the only interdisciplinary class at Juilliard. Um, like I said, I, I know there there are initiatives to, to start changing that, but it's it's. I mean, the amount of just administrative, you know, acrobatics that go into making that class happen just for six composers and six choreographers. You know, it's it, it really took the dance division to say, we're going to make this a big part of our fall semester um, mm. in order to make that happen. But it, it's the thought has always been that it's just really valuable to do that because it gives students that opportunity. It truly did like in, it changed my uh, life. Like uh, we've been crafting our, our last one of our last guests was a good friend of ours, uh, John Honk. He probably also played in a choreo comp class, I'd assume. But he he now has branched out and is doing a lot of like marketing and bio writing. So we had him on here. We've been working on our bios. And I, I always look back and point to collaboration. And the first experience uh-huh. was choreo comp. So it really did kind of change the course of my life and if you could just talk about like what is your approach to it because like interacting with you it was neat to see a composer who wasn't just solely kind of stuck in a contemporary classical field who's gone out and who has done tons of collaborations themselves just like what what kind of comes to your mind when these students walk in and it it very well may be their first true collaboration uh like any any guidance into that yeah, yeah. I'll also I'll also just mention that your piece was amazing. I still remember. I it. give you a lot of with Noble. credit was, for that. So it was beautiful. It was really beautiful, <laughs> really stunning. Um, I don't take any credit for this. The uh, so what's on my mind when the students walk in the door for that class? I you know the the thing the way I approach that class is is less. Well, actually, I don't think of it as a class at all. I think of it as like a mentored project, and I'm there. I look at my role in that. As once once the the pairs are assembled and they're underway and and guiding them and like how to get started and then trying to figure out what they are trying to make and then how to how to aid them in making that thing as opposed to to saying like I think you should be making this um, I think and I think that's really important it's it's something that my composition teacher was actually really good at. I've I've never taught straight up composition lessons. Um but I think that one of the things that must be most difficult about it is not teaching students to compose like you would as the <laughs> teacher, but to to actually try to figure out what they're interested in and guide them and how to how to best enhance that or or get at what they're going for. Um but you know, it's it, the other thing about the class is there's there is no formula because every pair is different and every year you know it's it's one of the classes and you know this happens with a lot of classes but the amount of sort of revision that has taken place from year to year to year in choreo comp because something new comes up every year we're like okay how could we have better dealt how could we better prepared for that prepared the students for that or what can we i mean the the class has been through so many iterations um it, it used to take place in the giant theater at Juilliard in the, the big uh, Peter J. Sharp theater. Wow. Woo. Yeah. It used to involve like the dance casts were twice as large Woo. and full light design, full costume design from scratch. It was, it was way too big. It was just way too much. <laughs> 
Well, because the students were the students were taking a leap from like small four minute pieces that they put together in three weeks to a piece of music they had never known to making a piece that was going to go on the giant stage. First time working with a lighting designer, first time working with a costume designer, first time collaborating with a composer. So they're creating without knowing what their music is going to be. And first time working with a cast that large. Like it was just too huge. So we scaled it down, put it in the the black box theater at Juilliard. And that was all, you know, so we're always kind of looking at how we can keep tailoring the class to make it as as useful and, and rich of an experience for the students. Um as we can, you know, there's, I, it's a weird class. Cause I, I don't feel like I do a ton of teaching in there because I'm, I'm not, you know, giving classes. I'm not presenting a ton of information. The class meets like once a week, but I am coming to rehearsals and I'm talking to choreographers and it's, it's in these conversations that I think the, that, that are hopefully most valuable. Um, but yeah, I, I love doing it. And it's, it's also connected to the way that my career has, has it turned out to be. I've built a, a a career composing a lot in the dance world, in the theater world, a little bit in the film world. But I've been I've always been drawn to collaboration. I actually wanted to ask you a little bit about that um, because I I listened to uh, I listened to your album and it's oh really, thank you <laughs> you're very you're very welcome. And what's so really cool about it? It's called Those Remade for for those of you who haven't heard of it. Link in the description. Link in the description. <laughs> What's really cool? I'm I'm kind of like since leaving Juilliard, I've become very interested in hip hop, mm-hmm. and I, I've I've then delved in since then I've delved into the many different aspects of hip hop, many different artists, and if I were to liken your album closer to any hip hop artist that I've listened to, I would say it's like really close to production, like Yeezus or On Ye by Kanye. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, w- I had this little fun question that popped in my head when I was listening to uh, Riots, especially. And I was like, yo, uh, Jerome, like if, if Kanye reached out to you to, to collaborate on some production for his next album, how fast would you respond to that? <laughs> instantly. Instantly. Yeah. G- g- crazy Kanye or sane Kanye. Like, instantly. <laughs> I'll take any Kanye. Yeah. I... Yeah, I mean, I, he, I I love his music. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his. I That's the other thing I think that, the other reason that I think collaboration for me has has been so interesting over the course of my career is that I was self-taught until college. I took some wow. piano lessons a little bit. I was in the school band. Um, and so, like, I don't come from, like, a conservatory background. Like, I couldn't get into Juilliard. Mm-hmm. Like I applied, I didn't even get it. I didn't make it past round one. I was commissioned by Juilliard before that, <laughs> but I couldn't get an interview. Wow. Like, wow. so like I literally, like I'm not, like I literally couldn't get into Juilliard. But then a few few years later, I was teaching at Juilliard. Yeah, teaching. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's weird how life works out. But mm-hmm. what I was saying is the reason I don't come from that traditional background at all. And I've always had a hugely diverse set of influences and music and art that I was super excited about. Well, something that's salient. Be it hip hop, 80s pop. Yeah, you know, I grew up in the 80s and yeah, 80s pop is sort of in my childhood DNA. Uh, We're talking Michael Jackson. We're talking... um, We're talking all of it. All of it. The (laughs) synth sounds. I love the synth sounds of the 80s. 
Yeah. We're talking Michael Jackson. On the synth front, we're talking like Human League and the Thompson Twins, Howard <laughs> okay. Jones. Um, but, you know, I was I was also listening to like, you, you know, I was there for the dawn of MTV, you know? So like mm-hmm. all of it, I mean, all of it. Mm-hmm. And then, then, you know, also around for like the rise of hip hop. And as soon as I, I remember the, I remember the first time like I remember th- those early days of hip hop and hearing it on the radio, but I didn't know what it was, and I was like, "This, what is this?" <laughs> I'm like ten, right? And I had a little boombox with a cassette, a cassette deck, and a radio, so you could like tape stuff off the radio. Mm-hmm. But it like there was a microphone by the speaker, so it would actually like when you taped off the radio, it would play the radio really loud so that the microphone could pick it up and record it on the cassette. Oh, I'm older yeah. than you think I am. <laughs> Look, no, that's how, that's how it, that's how it goes. So anyway, but yeah, it's like, I, and I remember hearing rap for the first time. I was like, I didn't know it was rap. I didn't know that I hadn't heard the term hip hop. I hadn't heard the term mm-hmm. rap. Um, and then eventually, you know, as you get through the late eighties and, and into the nineties, you know, mm-hmm. it's, so I, I had a, a huge, you know, I, I listened to very little classical music growing up. Mm-hmm. My parents had a few classical records and I listened to those quite a bit. Um, and Do you remember what they were? Um, Beethoven piano concertos. Ooh. We had the Nutcracker. Oh, Classic. Yeah, gotta have Chike. Yeah. Have Chike. <laughs> yeah. What else? There weren't many, just a few. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that um, was enough to influence you though, right? Yeah. I guess so. I guess so. I mean, I, I started taking piano lessons when I was five and I I didn't have great teachers and I didn't love it. And so by the time I was eight, I had quit. But then I started playing all the time and making up stuff and comp- composing, not like prodigy shit, like garbage, <laughs> garbage. But I was but I was writing out pieces with chords and um, yeah. Link in the description. learning music theory. Yeah, <laughs> like in the description. His old mixtapes. Yeah. Yeah. I was learning music theory without knowing mm. that I was learning music theory. Mm. I had a babysitter. Yeah. A guy named Tom Amin. I remember him. And he played the piano and he would he would come over and he would he would play our piano and he he would like he would have these he was also like into theater and he would play these Broadway scores. And I knew enough about reading music that he was not playing what was on the page. And I was like, what are, you, how, what are you doing? And he showed me what the chord symbols meant. So I was like, oh, this is an F minor. Mm. Um, and so I, I started, that's how, like, through him, I sort of learned what chords were. And then I started creating and make, so my, my relation to music has always been one of making it. When I was 13, I got, I got this synth up here. Really? Yeah. Wow. The, the same Roland, one? Yeah. Wow. The Roland Juno 106. Wow. Um, it that looks was my great. first synth. It's a, it's a great synth. Um, but, you know, so so I was doing that. I started playing clarinet in the grade school band. So I was getting a, a music education a bit there. And, mm-hmm. But I'm also learning pop stuff. And then I played in band in high school and jazz band in high school, saxophone and jazz band. Mm-hmm. Still played piano all the time. I was, you know, writing for my band. I was writing things for the the marching band to play. And Wow. But I didn't come from that, like, classical music education background. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always had this, that's a very long way of making my point that I've had a lot of influences that have contributed, I think, a lot to my to my interest in collaboration, especially in the modern dance world where anything goes. Mm. And even just to speak to that, so we also have like very similar backgrounds. My uh, 
parents weren't classical musicians. I had almost no exposure, I'd say, to just music in general until middle school, yeah. uh, where I started like electric guitar. I heard Van Halen for the first time. It's the first <laughs> yes. CD I was given, a burnt CD. On my, so my very first exposure, I was like, okay, I have to play guitar. But I also, my classical experience went through clarinet and then winding up in jazz band and marching band and somehow bassoon happened. But one of the, like, the neat bassoon things- Bassoon happens. Yeah, it, bassoon happens. Bassoon. <laughs> the, I thought it was interesting too, is like you grew up with such like an interesting time because the pop music, particularly in the 80s, was just so inventive. It was so experimental. And so even the very, very popular things, if you boiled them down, were just very much out there. And then like that kind of baton was carried on further by hip hop, uh, which gets us mm -hmm. into that Kanye discussion. Like he's very forward thinking, going out there, just exploring with sounds. And it seems like both your background and that has followed you throughout your life to just go out and kind of explore because uh, when you like listen to the music, it's it's very your music is very curious and intuitive. Like it kind of fall it, it follows mm. where it wants to go. It's not uh, like a predetermined thing. But even even across minutes and minutes and minutes, it's still there's still the forms, there's still the structures. But it's just a very intuitive and kind of organic ex experience. Uh, and I think you, mm. you, we kind of get the Thank best you. of all worlds of like the production background, these types of synth sounds, but it merges with the classical experience. Wow, thanks. With these collaborations, you mentioned Modern Dance, Anything Goes, and I think that's what was so appealing to me, particularly with that class. It w That was my first true collaboration where someone else had input on the art during the process. And that's why it sticks out to me. That's still my my most like memorable class, memorable piece uh, from that time period. Mm -hmm. And part of it really was kind of just seeing someone else, you, uh, coming in from this different background, being able to incorporate their past, their different types of sounds into this this art that can do whatever it wants. It was kind of, it, for me, the collaboration and particularly working with dancers because they're up for anything, musically speaking, <laughs> is that it kind of removes a lot of those self-imposed barriers that contemporary classical music really puts on itself. It's it's kind of just like, hey, you know, don't worry about those rules. And plus there'll be people dancing to this. So you've got something else to draw the mind to. Uh, so that like that's why, uh, like why it's really stuck out and why I continue to work on this. But I can see that in the music too. It's like, it's it's unafraid to be simple and it's also unafraid to be complex at the same time. Wow, thanks. <laughs> it's great to hear hear you say that. And I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that you found that experience in the dance world as well. Um and I you know it that's that's something that is so interesting about working with choreographers is they are looking at the music in terms of a theatrical moment. Right? So they don't care how brilliant your theater your theoretical constructs are in the music. It's like that that's not what it's about. And I mean, I, that's not fair to say they don't care because many of them do care, but that's not what the piece is about, <laughs> right? It's not about how how slick can you be with motivic development, right? It's like, it's about the theatrical moment that's being created. Um, 
yeah, it's it's a I, I remember there was there was a time when I was working with a choreographer and I had so I had this piece had these three slow movements in it that were separated by fast movements. And first you'd hear piano and cello, and then you'd hear piano and marimba in the second time you hear that slow movement. And then in the third movement, you realize that this all goes together and you hear the piano and the cello and the marimba, which which wouldn't be so evident by the way these parts are written, right? And I, I was really into, into that. And the choreographer was like, can we switch them? Can we put the movement where they're all three in to first? Because I, I, like with what I'm doing movement-wise, that makes more sense. And I was like, but that ruins my whole... Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and and then I, I took a chance to like look at it and I, I realized that by reversing it, by hearing all three instruments in and then hearing it again without the cello and then hearing it again with the cello, but without the marimba, it enables you to hear the absence of one of the instruments which was way more powerful than this like weird aha moment I had constructed about going, oh, they all go together. It's like, oh my God, it was so much more emotionally resonant and powerful to hear something missing. And, you know, having having someone, having somebody who's not interested in your music theory react to your piece, but who also has a really vested interest in how this piece is coming out is um, is a really valuable thing. And then realize that the combined the com- the combined efforts of two people increases. It, it, it makes something that's greater than the sum of the parts. And one thing that I find as a chamber musician is oftentimes we take things personally, uh, and, and there's like this 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 need to be right all the time. So can you actually yeah. speak to that? Because one of the biggest uh, like in, inhibitions to successful collaboration is this idea. Uh, that that people are unable to take criticism or unable to take feedback, and how do you, as somebody who collaborates often, like deal with that? Yeah, um, I, a, a podcast I listen to a bunch uh, is Mark Maron's WTF. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I forget um, I forget the name. I'm blanking on the name of the guest. He he's he was an, he's a really famous actor, Bradley somebody I think Cooper. No, he's okay. in. He was in West Wing. Um, I can't. He's remember in The Handmaid's Tale. You know. You know. What I'm talking about though. Anyway, Juilliard alum actually, but Shout he out. he told this story. Yeah, <laughs> he told this story about. I want to say Harris, but I don't think that's it. Anyway, he told this story about. Um, you know, getting feedback. And he's like, there are like sort of three stages to getting feedback. You know, first I get feedback from a director and my first thought is, fuck you. And then my second, (laughs) (laughs) and then my, my second thought is I'm garbage, you know? And then my third thought is, okay, well, let me, let me listen to it. Right. And he's like, I can just recognize those stages and, and get, and go, okay, I went through the fuck you stage. I went through the I'm garbage stage. And now I can, now I can look at that feedback and, and incorporate it. Um, I loved that story. 
That's beautiful. Um, yeah, it's 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 really I, I love it. I just love it. But so the, you know the their their collaboration is complicated. It is complicated, and it's especially complicated when you know at, off, like say in the dance world as a composer, I'm the one being commissioned. I'm being hired, right? So I'm not the one. I'm not the. I don't get final say. Mm. You know, in that case. So, mm. Mm. in collaboration, I think there's the way it starts at the very beginning, right? It starts at you have to walk in the room with an openness, being willing to say, you know, to to deal with that. Like I'm not. It, it's not about being right. It's about finding a common vision and making that vision the best we can make it. You know, I think this would apply in in chamber music as well. It's like when you sit down for rehearsal, it's it's to in to be in this mindset that we are here to work together to create something that none of us can create on our own. It's 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 difficult. It's very difficult. I just had rehearsal <laughs> yesterday and the the usual way it goes is the first violin is telling me how to play my instrument. You know, and that's <laughs> Yeah, that yeah, that would that would drive you go me through crazy. the three stages. You go through the three <laughs> stages. I got I did. I literally did in the fact that you said you said the three stages, I was like, I didn't re I usually just stay on fuck you. Mm-hmm. So I <laughs> and then maybe I'll graduate to I'm trash and I never really get past the I'm trash stage. Yeah. Uh, because then there are all the viola jokes that then verify the I'm trash sort of right. motif in my brain. So it requires a lot of self-work. And so what are some things that you you tell yourself like in those moments to get from the I'm trash part? Because I feel like a lot of conservatory students feel that. I feel like a lot of, you know, especially middle schooler and high school students that are just learning how to do the thing feel that. What is, what is a way that you get through that? So I've developed, and this wasn't a conscious thing. It just, it's something I'm, I'm naturally, it's one of my natural inclinations Mm -hmm. is to sort of always be diplomatic. So I can have a director or a choreographer or film director, you know, any kind of collaborator. I can have them say to me, you know, this doesn't work at all. And I will, I flip, I flip into instant diplomat mode and I go, okay, well, okay, well, let's figure out, let's figure out why, right? Even though inside I'm just like, you're insane. This is brilliant. <laughs> I just handed you gold. I'm a genius. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I played my heart out for you, bro. <laughs> I'm a genius. I'm a god. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, so it's, and I think that even, even though that's not, emotionally what's happening inside of me, the fact that that's what's happening externally tempers the emotion. So then I can say, then I start asking them questions as to why this isn't working. And, you know, this probably doesn't work in, in a string quartet situation. <laughs> First violinist, well, why do you think? My, yeah, uh, yeah, they never ask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and so then, it, then it, it becomes this, like, this problem-solving thing. Um, you know, there's also... There's also the responsibility of the other collaborator, right? So that even if even if there is this hierarchy in place, and, and I, I talk to um, I talk to the choreo comp students at least these days. I do. I don't know if I did in, in your day, Trevor. Um, <laughs> when did you do that? 2015. Yeah, it would have been the I guess the fall of 2014. So like the graduation year 2015. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know if I was I don't know if I was giving this speech now, but now I <laughs> I talk to the the dancers and the composers um, about the idea of empowering your collaborators, whether those are the musicians playing your pieces, or the dancers dancing your pieces, or the composer who's writing your piece, or if you're a composer commissioning a choreographer, which sometimes happens, if, you know the choreographer that you've commissioned. Like, how do you empower them to do their best work? rather than try to shut them down. So I think it's really it, the best collaborations I've had are this sort of two-way open approach. You know, where where you know, I'll be honest, I I walk into some collaborations with a choreographer say and I'm there because they want what I do and they want what I do to contribute to their vision, and they want to create something together. And sometimes I walk in and I I realize halfway into the project that I'm here because you don't know how to write music. Mm-hmm. You want me to write your <laughs> score. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Which is which is that's not that's not an invalid way of working. Right? If you're a choreographer and you're putting up something on stage and you know sonically what you're looking for and you don't have the means to make that happen, you bring somebody in who can. Um it's it's a very unrewarding way to work as a composer. So I think, you know, when you're, whenever you're collaborating with people to be as, to be empathetic and open and really do everything you can to empower them to do their best work and to be on your side. I don't know if that's helpful, but that's that, so those helpful. Are, it's, it's incredibly helpful. One of the things, cause I, I don't know if it was a specific speech, but like that entire course, um, mm-hmm. instead of really teaching, treating it like of course, I was treating, you know, the whole class was going to be an experience. It was going to be new. Multiple performances, choreographers, collaborations, costumes. It's in the black box. It's it's all new. And so for me, I was like, let's take advantage of this. And that's why, uh, like, that piece just turned out so, so much more different, musically speaking, than I would have ever had done on my own. And then it just wind, winds up being, like, the best thing I had done and the most meaningful piece to me. And part of it was just fostering an environment of creativity. And obviously like not every collaboration turns out that way, but just to even, you know, put it in the context, very similar things like the playing field was set. So me and Noble, uh, my choreographer I worked with, uh, what, what we did was just, it, it kind of like we were working both, you know, together and independently, but what kind of helped it for us was the, the vision was the same and mm-hmm. so I'd be like nervous to bring up an idea. I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, it's going to involve this, but I don't want it. I don't want it to be, I don't want to be like religious connotations. And then he, uh, you know, it's going to be spiritual. And then without me sending him anything, he would text me. He's like, I'm thinking of the spiritual element or whatever. <laughs> so we're always, true story. We we're always on the same wavelength, even though we, you know, how we were going to get there was going to be different. And so we had the same exact experience you did too. I'm sitting there. I spent all this time thinking about the structure. I show him a, a demo, and it was the ending of the piece, and it was this like long, stretched out, beautiful thing. <clears throat> and then he's just like, "Oh, this would be great at the beginning." And I'm like, "Absolutely not. Right. You know that is just wrong." And then I did it, and I'm like, "He's a genius." You know? 
<laughs> it made everything. So the entire like three minute opening was was the begin. You know, was now the beginning, and it all transformed. And like so many things came together at the last minute, technically, but not really because we were always had that same vision. Like the timing, the music, it all really surged in there. And I think, uh, you know, just like how you you you've enabled people to experience these these types of open collaborations like you have and you have yourself and trying to push them towards a kind of like unified thing of like hey you know you're in this together do what you can to best enable each each other's visions um could you speak to like kind of like a day one like you you either you've just met this person you've maybe done a little research on them but they've reached out and they're like, hey, let's make something together. Like, what are some of the initial steps that kind of like help get you into into this open space? Yeah. Um, before I before I touch on that, I have one more thought, um, Drew, about about how how I deal with feedback. Yes. And I think one of the that this just occurred to me when Trevor, you were telling that story about switching the the ending of the piece at the beginning, um, is that when you go through enough feedback experiences where you find out that the feedback is right, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it helps, it helps me anyway to be more open to listening to it. But the, it's, it's more than that. It's also understanding that before anything can get feedback, a lot of work has to go into it. Right? So, I can't, I can't be like, hey, Trevor, Drew, I'm going to write this piece. What do you think? It, well, I don't know. I got to hear it, right? So that I could yeah. like, I could go work for a few days and then bring you some sketches. And then you're going to, you who have put nothing into this piece, right? You're not attached to any of it. That's, that's exactly who you want giving feedback to you. Mm-hmm. I often go to my wife for feedback because she is not a musician. She doesn't have musical training. So she is not going to comment to me on anything, you know, technically musical in the piece. But she'll be like, "Resolve your leading tones." You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, we've talked about this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> go back to your go back to your studio and fix this. Your your skips your skips of perfect fourths are really jarring. Yeah. Everywhere, yeah. honey. <laughs> Parallel fifths again. Parallel fifths. What do we yeah. talk about? Common practice era principles. Oh, I love me some parallel fifths. <laughs> um, but she, but she can provide. You know, and, and she'll say like, oh, I don't know that section. I don't know. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And she won't. She won't be able to tell me why. But she'll just go. That doesn't work. And I'll I'll go listen to it. And I'll be like, shit. Does it not work? <laughs> oh, maybe she. What if it? What if it doesn't work? Oh, this is why it doesn't work. Damn it, it doesn't work. Oh, but now I know why it doesn't work. I know how to fix it. So it's it's remembering that that getting feedback does not invalidate the work that you've put in. That feedback couldn't exist unless you have put that work in. And one of the first things, actually, bring it back. It's so much about the choreocom class. But every time you know we start that class, one of the first things I tell students is get something existing as soon as possible. You can have a thousand discussions and be using the exact same words and mean exactly opposite things from one another. Like, oh, th- this we're going to start this section. It's going to be like really high energy. 
and what fast. What does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> like how fast? High energy in terms of what? Movement, sound, like busy music, like pounding beat, like it could mean a thousand different things. Mm-hmm. So, but as soon as you get something in the world, music that you can listen to, movement you can look at, then you can, when you can start looking at something that exists, you can start saying, even if it's as simple as like, yeah, I'm feeling that, but not that. I don't know why, but this one's interesting to me and this one's not. But once something exists, so it's remembering that too, that that when you're receiving feedback, it's only because you have now created something that can receive feedback. Wow. That changed so much for me. Just that one simple uh that w- feedback is so important to that improvement process. And like, I think we do view it. I, at least I viewed it as like some, an indication that I'm wrong or something I did was wrong, but you can't even have feedback if you haven't given it love or attention or even done the work. So it's right. actually a validation that you have done work and it's just a further refinement therein. It's such, and, it's such a healthier way to think about it. And also right and wrong doesn't mean anything until you're at the final product. Mm. Right? Like in the process, mm. so much is going to be wrong, whatever that means. And then those wrong things might be right by the time you get to the end. You know, mm. it's like create creative processes. It's a winding path. It is not a straight, it's not a through way, you know, start to finish. There are detours and oftentimes you, you end up making something you didn't set out to make in the first place. It's zooming out and then trying to trying to get rid of the feeling of right and wrong as connected to yourself. Maybe right and wrong for the project, but that's not you. That seems so so at odds. And I'm sorry, Trevor, I'm trampling all over your question, but it's kind of like I'm thinking (laughs) so much about school right now. Thinking so much about, um, you know, how kids during COVID or or schools are possibly going to lose federal funding if they don't open completely. And then that makes me think about what was my experience like in school? It was, I need to get a high score on this test. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to make mistakes. And that is so at odds with the creative process. Like mistakes, like you said, don't really exist because it may be wrong for this project, but it might be right for another project. So that sort of creative synthesis is killed in the the typical way that we learn things. And so I'm wondering like, how, how did you reprogram yourself in this way? Cause this is so much healthier for a creative mind. Honestly, I, I think I think the beginning of the reprogramming was because I was in these situations early on where I, w- I got a school where I was hired, right? It was my, I was on a gig getting the feedback. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't be like, and I needed the money. Like I needed the money. <laughs> I couldn't walk, right? It's like I had to solve this problem and pissing off the person who was paying me was not going to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. So- it's like how like how do I solve this? 
that mm. you know, it became out of necessity. But it wasn't until later on. And it, look, it's I, it still happens. Like I could get feedback tomorrow where somebody goes, yeah, I don't think this section is working. And it's like, part of me inside is going like, ah, like I go through the stages, right? <laughs> Fuck you, I'm garbage. <laughs> Often those go on loop for a while. <laughs> uh, you, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, there's inside of me just fighting at who's who's the bigger asshole, me or the person giving me feedback. This is a work but, in progress. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it, you know, it, that's still there, but it's, I think I've had enough experience knowing that that goes away. Mm. And so it, I, I may, it's, you know, you just learn practice, <laughs> right? You just, you just learn how to kind of quash that because none of it's useful, right? What's useful is what is the feedback they're giving me? And, you know, honestly, almost always, it's not that, it's not that my entire idea was wrong. It just needed a tweak to make it land in a way that that was better for the piece. And at so many times that tweak is better. Mm. You know, it it's mm-hmm. I, to this day, I, I don't, well, I'm not going to say never because I could probably think of some examples, but it is rare that I, I end up after revisions feeling like I've made a weaker piece. Wow. Bars. Now that's, that's <laughs> that's that's because I think creativity thrives under limitations. You know, I I hate a blank page. We we can talk about that later. There's still Trevor's question. We will. Um, but there's yeah. So it might be that when you know, know knowing that okay, here's this thing. I'm really I'm really, and this brings up another point. Sorry to be so tangential. No, no, no. We love this. Is faking notes. This is a tangent. That's true. I have listened. This is this is on. This is definitely on brand. (laughs) This is this is on brand. (laughs) He's one of us. Um, and now I forgot my tangent. Oh shoot! No, because it'll come back. That's also on brand. Yeah, excellent. (laughs) It is also very on brand. Here, actually, let me. I'm gonna leave and rejoin real quick, just because my like I'm getting such a video delay. Let me, okay. let me do that real quick. Okay, come back, Trevor. Come back. Come back. Come back. Come back. I just wanted to really say thank you for that perspective because I <laughs> it's something that you know in my undergraduate studies I really had a hard time dealing with. Yeah, yeah, it's it should be part of the teaching. It should be part of the training. Mm-hmm. That that this is the oh look at that headshot! <laughs> it's a dope headshot. <laughs> Dramatic. Back. Noble actually took that my choreography. Did he really? <laughs> Which Amazing. also means I haven't changed it in five years. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a that. Now you're. I think you got three more years on that headshot. I figure eight to ten years <laughs> yeah. is about every, every. That's when I get a new headshot. <laughs> Uh, or you could just have a, a best friend like me, and I'll just keep you updated. I'll keep you updated, man. <laughs> yeah. just we'll just mind. do we'll just do screen keep... captures on Zoom. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's all we need. Yeah. That's the new Vogue. Let's even just circle back. So you you put sure. up like a very interesting point, and obviously, as you know, we can talk about these things forever. But the yeah. idea of figuring out what's right and wrong, and it, it, it made me recall one of. You know, you go to a summer festival and part of the thing is you get one lesson with the person and like what, how, how valuable is that one lesson going to be? They don't know your music. 
it's right. you know if you have one therapy session maybe not a whole lot's going to get accomplished but one of the things i remember was i went into one and i had this saxophone quartet it was very minimalist it was it was good and i put it up there and the teacher said something along the lines of what you said he's like you know what the problem with this piece is it's like it's 100% right and like that's not that's not interesting he he said the best music is like 80% right and he's like take take example a uh, wordplay the ride of spring uh he's <laughs> He's like, if you really listen to that piece, you know, it's famous. There's a reason it's standing the test of time. But if you really pay attention to that piece, there's a lot of wrong shit in it. Like some things just don't make sense. They don't repeat for the right amount of time. Like why is this here? Why it, you know, and as the piece goes on, it gets even more so. Like it doesn't, it doesn't quite work out. But part of that was due to the collaboration. It was for dance. It, you know, it, it needed to fit a, someone else's vision to fit another narrative. But also, like, the creative freedom, like, why you get a piece like that that is different but yet similar uh, and why it kind of st stood the test of time is that it just knew kind of when to break the rules, to when to be wrong, and then that mm -hmm. creates the best package. And I think looking out at successful pieces um, – and and what you're distilling what you were kind of saying, it's part of what makes us a creative isn't necessarily like getting better, so to speak. I think it's just we 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 get closer to being able to actually get out of our mind uh, what we want. It's like we just we just slowly edge forward and get a closer, a higher percentage of the 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 vision and how to process feedback is the whole ball game, whether it's external. Mm -hmm or internal. So it, it's, right. I don't know, it's just neat hearing, hearing you speak about this. And as someone who's uh, gone and experienced your music live, uh, I, can't, I can't remember the last show, and I'm bad with names, but there was one just down in the space in Brooklyn maybe three years ago. And it was just incredible because I'm sitting there the whole time thinking like, like, wow, like these are awesome. And like, I never would have thought about making this choice. Like whether it was just simple, just a few words. I remember there's only a couple words and you're singing them and you're performing it all live and there's all these different mm -hmm. sounds and and it's always changing. And then there was uh, like another piece with the percussion quartet yeah. and it's like 40 minutes of Sandbox percussion, percussion and it's awesome and it's, and, it's, and it's expansive. And then the last movement after this whole journey, pitch. So you 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 it was electroacoustic and suddenly all these all these pitch pitch sounds these notes these chords being drawn out of these percussive things and it was just like a you know a, a deer in the headlights in a good way um, not a get hit by the car way but it just really like wakes you up um, and like that was a very fascinating creative choice that I loved I was sitting there I was waiting for you because I know you and I was like always oh, going to do something creative and I was like I wonder if he'll do this and then you did it like 40 minutes into the journey the last thing uh and and if we're thinking of a traditional classical composer they wouldn't do that you know it would come in at the golden ratio they had <laughs> and you know introduced the one pitch motive five minutes in and then suddenly it's chords and they they wouldn't no teacher would say like, okay, for the first forty minutes of this fifty-minute journey, uh, none of that, and then the last movement is just totally different than everything else. Like that breaks the rules, but that wrongness was the right move. That comes from theater, though, right? Like that comes from working in the theater because, and and I think that's one of the reasons I was drawn to dance is because when I was a kid growing up, I was also a, an actor. 
Like I was do I was doing plays in my community theater. I was in all the high school plays. I even did some theater going into college. Thought about like I auditioned for the theater program when wow. I went to school. Got in and then decided eh, actually I I don't want to do a double major with music and theater. That's too hard. Um, <laughs> you know. Oh and, God. Oh God. Well, the, I mean, it's too it's too much of a commitment, right? Like the it's both of those are too. Plus, I also decided that I didn't really think I wanted the life of an actor constantly auditioning and all that. But then I found dance and dance gave me a way to, I wish clarify for, for the, uh, the listeners out there that I am not a dancer. I'm just a composer, um, but dance, dance, dance gave me, I found dance, uh, dance gave me a way to bring, bring my music back onto the stage and create theatrical moments with the music. So in that, in that percussion quartet, you know, the, the way that started was I knew I wanted to write, I knew we were going to write a piece for percussion. And I had been doing a ton of work in, you know, past 10, more than 10, almost 15 years now, um, where I'm amplifying instruments and then doing live electronic processing on them. And so I, th I started to think, okay, with percussion, what, what can I do? So I started experimenting and I was like, oh, what if I get drum triggers and have the drums trigger synths? Because uh, uh, during this piece, they're, they're each player, there's four players, and each of them has, among other things, four rototoms that go de that descend in pitch. And each of those rototoms now triggers a different pitch. So now you hear all these percussion patterns, but now there's melodic patterns assigned to them. Every drum plays one pitch now on a synthesizer. And so when that, that, that kind of entered the menu, and then it was sort of my theater brain going... Well, that's, that's going to be a reveal at the end. Right? That's going to be something at the... Because mm. I can't bring in pitch and then leave it. Well, I mean, I guess I could. Anytime I say I can't, my first instinct is to go, but I guess I could if I did this. <laughs> that's a good way to think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is a good way to think. But the... Um, you know, so that's where that that choice came from, though, and that's that's sort of working in the theater where it's it's never about a again, not never. It can be. It's not only about a theater, uh, sorry, a theoretical construct. It's about crafting these moments of experience for the audience, and so for me, it was like, well, clearly, this is when that happens. And what the lighting designer did, the, the whole piece is is in black and white and it's it's dark white lighting. At that moment, the whole stage erupts into color as we hear these these synth pitches, you know, where we've only heard stark percussion noises the whole time. So it was it was really about creating this this theatrical moment. And I I write music that way. Like I'm I'm so aware of of the inherent theater in making music. Like when I'm writing a piece, it's I'm not only thinking about what does it sound like, but I'm thinking about what are the musicians doing? What's, what mental state are they in to have to pull this off? What is it like to watch these people do this thing? Because most people don't go to a music concert with their eyes closed, right? We, we go to a music concert to actually see humans doing this incredibly inherently theatrical thing about, of making music. And I don't mean playing dramatically. I mean, like, just to watch somebody play an, in an instrument is captivating. And so I'm, I'm kind of always aware of that, but that comes from, that comes from my years of working in the theater.
have a is it okay if I switch gears and flip the switch a little bit? Yeah, of course. And we also is have it, to get back to Trevor's what happens on day one question, but go ahead. Oh yeah, no, yeah, no. Let's let's handle that first, Trevor. Can you re-ask it? Because you <laughs> asked it so beautifully. Um day one of of setting up a collaboration, like how do you go in and foster that open uh the kind of like open relationship that has that then allows you to kind of create the best piece possible and encourage each other. Mm -hmm. I don't know that there's anything in particular that I consciously do. I think if you, I think if you walk in the door with that mindset, it's in the room. It's there. If you walk in the door with that kind of openness and generosity and excitement about the project that's already there. That mm. already that governs the things that you then do. I think, because uh, I can't, I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything in particular that I, I, like a strategy that I try to do. It's it's also walking in the door without any assumptions, right? Walking in and saying, you know, the the first conversations that I'll have with a choreographer would be something like. You know, assuming we've already decided to do this piece, right? We're going to work on a piece. The The first questions are like, okay, so so what are we doing? And the answer is either, either the choreographer is like, I'm interested in doing this. Or I've said, you know, I've got, uh, this is, these are some things I've been interested in lately. Or, or the answer is, we don't know. So then we start <laughs> to figure it out, right? Yeah. <laughs> and some of the ways I start to figure that out on the music end is I figure I, I figure out basic details. How long is the piece? What's what's the budget for like like can we are we working with live musicians or is this going to be a recorded score? Like what what's the medium right that this is getting delivered in? If it's going to be live musicians, what what interests you as a choreographer? You know, and it's it's just it's you start you start with just those, those basic first steps and then the ideas start to start to flow um often often i will go in and watch some early rehearsals even if the choreographer is just doing exploratory work with the company i'm not giving feedback i'm not i'm not offering anything but just the openness of going and being there being a part of that process allows I think it, it just allows for it allows for the creation of that kind of environment where things are open and things are trusting. Mm -hmm. It's easier in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, as as you get closer to the deadline when things have to be working, <laughs> that's that's actually when when it it takes a lot more sort of conscious mental management of many situations. The through line is this choreo comp in my experience because that was my first interaction with you and it's just yeah. a nice like vessel to talk about. But one of the things I would strongly encourage any musician out there or to to go and watch other people in other fields make their art. One of the things I did, which again, this was all new to me, but I, I went into that choreographers and composers uh, experience like knowing, okay, I want to do something different. I this is my opportunity. It's why you go to a big fancy place like Juilliard. This is one of the only, if not at that point, the only class that would cross the divisions. It's like I'm going to take advantage of this and just go sit in on rehearsal. So 
I went to a ton of rehearsals, uh, maybe maybe almost all of them uh, with my choreographer and the dancers, and you know, got to meet them, got to make friends with them, got to mm-hmm. I got to watch them uh, just do their craft. And part of that also was learning, as we spoke about before, how they use all of the same terms in vastly different ways when they're talking about time, breath, phrase beauty energy whatever it is like every single one of those words is some is sometimes even in the opposite way of how i would process it in music but to see other people and other creatives uh, how they go about their art you see one a lot of similarities and two a lot of differences we've talked about on the show uh like the the netflix series abstract and each episode's about a different type of artist from that's a great series to the nike shoes I'm I'm obsessed with it, and it was kind of like reinvigorated me to see other people just talk intimately and in depth about what they do and how they've collaborated. But through that experience of really just watching them, it it changed it changed things. By I think just me showing up early and just going to the rehearsals at the beginning before months before I had given them any sounds. I'm just sitting there, uh, just sitting there and like observing. It changed how I wrote the piece. They're not dancing to anything. They were just creating ideas, movements that were, who knows if they were going to make it. It was, his process was very kind of like mathematical and I'm just watching that. And by observing them, I was suddenly writing pieces with an experience. And so fast forward, we get closer. Uh, there was like some conflicts, you know, there, it's a tech getting towards tech week, there's stress. And I was able to be a bridge between the dancers and the choreographer. Like, who'd have thought? The composer. Mm-hmm. Like, I sit there, I have grown <laughs> relationships since I'm eating dinner with these people. They're becoming friends, and we're all in this together. And they're relaying things to me, and I'm translating it to the choreographer. And the choreographer is relaying things to me, and I'm translating it to uh, vice versa to the performers. But yeah, the just experiencing other people's art, I think is just a super valuable thing. And then it's part of what I see you do is to try to foster that. I mean, just hearing your backstory, that is what you've done, is just been constantly exposed to all these different types of creatives. And then it's figuring out that kind of the right and the wrong of how to assess that and how to really create a moving experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the other the other advantage that you get is that you you get to see by by going into rehearsals and watching somebody else work is you get to see how your collaborator creates you get a window into their artistic process that conversation won't give you plus i i don't know if this happened to you but i remember the, when i first started working with dancers and i saw like a choreographer just tell dancers to do something and then they just did it <laughs> and it was it was like oh you what? don't have to write anything down there are no parts to print up like <laughs> You just make it happen right now. <laughs> I remember my mind being and that was oh, exploding. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I'll never forget. And and y'all, uh, the, all the all the teachers have like warned us because they're like, okay, you composers now performances in four months, and well, that's like your normal rate of working. And like they need to dance to something now. So you encouraged. I never would have sent anything early until it was pretty much locked. And I knew that that couldn't be done. And then that actually changed how the music would have become. I had to get them some sounds. It's how the the symbiotic relationship between the two worked. And so from here on out, I've pretty much done that. The best things I've 
I've done is getting them things early, getting feedback early, uh, changing things, warping them. And almost always, like the more I provide them leading up to the final thing, the better it, it becomes because someone else who's both unattached and very attached to what you're doing is, is having in, insight to your process, which is very new to composers. Like we don't like to do that. We might interact. If it's an orchestra, there's no interaction. If it's a chamber group, you might, they might have a reading session. Maybe you might have talked to them before. Yeah. And so through this experience, it's really opened me up to, to just being able to like, like learn how to foster something organically in an actual collaborative setting. Uh, a recent example, we can maybe even uh, use this as a segue, is that I started to do this with film. Like I just, I've got like a documentary coming up and my pitch, instead of, you know, me watching the film a couple times and typing up a dry email, I tried this for the first time. I was like, hey, I've got all this podcast stuff. I've got video. I did a screen capture where I'm talking and I'm just clicking through a cheaply made Google sl slide. And instead of sending a, hey, this is what I think about the movie. You know, I really love it. Here's what I think creatively. Here's the budget. Like a very boring, dry email like I've always done. All I did is this took one fourth of the time. I just got the camera rolling and had an outline. And for it wound up just being a 30 minute stream of conscious <laughs> but somewhat guided pitch but it worked it got the gig and i think because they saw like the caring they heard a human voice talking about their project right what you know like they, they and it just felt so much more so much more personal and i think that's kind of really what you're speaking to is is just really having getting a personal intimate human conversation going yeah. Uh, is there's something? Is do you like thrive on that? Do you like really like talking to other creatives? Like what what really gets you going? Um, yeah, I I do, especially in the context of like creating work. I I love I love problem solving in an artistic context. I love figuring out what the problem is, and then making it through and figuring out how how you solve that either individually or creatively whether i'm writing a piece on my own it, it's that's the first thing i'm looking for is basically what's my composition assignment that i'm giving myself like what is the what is the box i'm trying to work my way out of <laughs> oh yeah right if i can't build that box then i don't i don't know what i'm doing i'm just meandering around first the first thing i have to do is like find find a way to put myself in a box and then try to work my way out of it so i i do i do thrive on that process i really i really love it um and as you're talking, it, it reminded me of another thing about, about getting feedback is that working in the dance field, I am constantly having to show my music before it's done, mm -hmm. right? So I am showing something in progress with the goal being to get feedback. So it's, you know, and, and it's great when the feedback is, I love it. Sounds amazing, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? But it's also great when the feedback is, I, I, I'm not convinced of this one yet. And then my, my thought is, okay, can I convince them? Um, mm. or, or does it not belong in this? I have a whole file of stuff that, it, that, that are reject babies from pieces, right? <laughs> Things that are made that I think are really cool <laughs> ideas, but they weren't right for the piece for whatever reason, whether that was my decision or somebody else's decision. And, 
and they'll they'll resurface somewhere else. That sounds like good a ideas. great album idea, Reject Babies. <laughs> and you just it's just all the projects that didn't quite make it and that's just that's the concept you know yeah <laughs> can i can i ask my question now trevor do I have permission go for it do I have permission <laughs> you have permission <laughs> thank you okay so um one thing that's sailing upon my mind because i've recently been doing a lot of Talks with kids, um, high school kids principally, and I think that there are a few of them that listen to this. I think a lot of kids are in college that listen to this uh, or just finishing college. And many of them have a lot of trepidation when it comes to going into school during this fall. And, um, and I've been asked multiple times, TBK, what do I do? Like, I can't visit the school. I can't play for the teacher. I can't figure out what it's like to be on campus. Like, what do I do? I'm wondering as somebody who is on faculty at a school, what is your perspective for a kid who's a rising senior right now who has to make a decision on a college? What are some tips that you, from your position, that, that you can give them? Wow. I know, when I was asked this question too, I was like, bro, I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I would love to talk about it. You know, I think it's important to talk about. I I think there, and this is this is so hard to do when you're just coming out of high school. It's kind of hard to get perspective on things like this. Mm-hmm. But I think I think really asking yourself what it is you want to get out of your college experience, like what is it that's important to you, and let that guide you in terms of of which school which schools to look at, um, like, like you said, you know, and, and, you know, honestly, whether even to go right now, right. Is it, yes. is it worth going right now? And that's, mm-hmm. that's not a decision that can be made for anybody externally. Each person has to make that decision on their own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but presuming that somebody's decided, no, I, I really want to get started on, I want, I want to get things moving with college. I think I would, I would recommend asking not at all being shy about asking to have conversations with people over Zoom. Everyone's home. Everyone's got <laughs> Zoom, right? Everyone, Everyone's yeah. socially isolating. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can't go meet the teacher, but but maybe it's actually even easier to meet the teacher because they don't have to leave their home. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can, whether that be, you know, in music, whether that be taking a lesson or um, just contacting the departments you're interested in saying, who can I talk to? about the program. I have questions. And I, I think, I think in some ways you'll have more access to individuals than you might normally have because there are, you know, I, I'm, I'm taking Tabla lessons right now with a teacher in Mumbai. <laughs> that's incredible. I'm learning that, Cajon. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome. And How that wouldn't have occurred to me. That? How'd you do that? Um, I, I've always, well, since I learned about the tabla, like when I was in college, I was like, this instrument is amazing. Yeah. And then in 2003, <laughs> I took a trip to India and Nepal and I actually got a set of tabla, what? a really nice wow. set, and yeah. brought them back. At the, at the time, it was before I moved to New York. I was living in Richmond, Virginia, and I found a teacher there. Weirdly, there was like Whoa, one dude. in Richmond? Yeah, what? teaching tabla. What? And he, he, you know, he mostly was just teaching. You know, he, It's like the lessons were... Uh, it, 
there was like a Hindu temple and there was like a sort of community center attached to it. And I would go, that's where the lesson was. And I think mostly he was teaching like little Indian kids how to play mm-hmm. tabla. And so he he was like super interested to have a musician who was older, who wanted to learn. <laughs> so I, I studied for a little bit, but you know, not very long, just um, maybe, maybe 10, 10 lessons, 12 lessons or something. And then I moved to New York and got super busy right away. I haven't touched him since. Mm. Um, and then the pandemic hit and I was like, well, if I'm not going to dust these things off now, like, when am I going to do it? <laughs> so I got in touch with a dance accompanist, uh, Juilliard, who does a, a lot of world music and, uh, asked for some, I said, do you know any tabla teachers? And, and she and her husband both said, yeah, we, we do. Um, there was a guy in New York and there was this guy in Mumbai and he got back to me first. And wow. so I've, I've been wow. learning tabla. It's been awesome. How it's, so? That's because in Mumbai, they're in the future. They're, they're, they're so in the future. Hours ahead. That's they are nine and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What time What time is your lesson? What time is it? Yeah, I have uh, on Saturday, I do two lessons a week. Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Mm. or 8.30, depending. Mm. And then Friday, uh, Saturday, sorry, Monday evening at 10 p.m. Oh, are my wow. lessons. Because Indi- yeah, India is nine and a half hours ahead, <laughs> which is weird. Half the half hour thing is weird. <laughs> I mean, there's even like like something you know. Now's one thing is like you know take advantage of of the now, and we've mentioned before not in like a capitalist way. Like oh, you need to be you know starting that business or side hustle, but like right. I, I just uh, what we'd encourage is of course uh, adapting. Like okay, like now there is this time I probably would have never had done this before. Also, right. that teacher probably would have never have done this. So being able to kind of adapt, and you see it in your music too. You adapt to the situation. You solve mm-hmm. the problem. A problem has been presented to us big time, and you're trying to solve it. Uh, getting back towards the student and yeah. some of the things they might question, of course, the hardest time is it's that point in your life you've always been told all your friends are going to college no matter what, and then this weird event happens. It's a, it's a tough enough decision already to take on you know a mortgage essentially on yourself and your knowledge. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. To to now do it when it's going to be online, and we don't we obviously won't have to find an especially answer in the here. arts. We might even yeah. Yeah, arts, and yeah. and so much of the art. So for me, like the problem is, like for undergrad, I don't know. It'd have been a different equation. I needed so much catch up time because I just mm-hmm. hadn't put in, I hadn't practiced, I hadn't put in the work before. So maybe undergrad, I probably should have just come straight in, anyways. But for instance, for graduate school, going to a Juilliard, the one of the primary thing that I was thinking of was I wanted a different experience than my undergrad. I hadn't talked to a lot of people. Um, I. I hadn't just I hadn't been surrounded by um, as as many musicians as you would be at a Juilliard or as many interesting people. And so for me, the number one thing I was looking at for in a grad school is like I want to be surrounded by incredibly talented people my own age. It wasn't a teacher decision. Um, and sure, the prestige really helps. But it was like I want to be around lots of other highly vote, highly motivated, skilled people. And so you know, if someone like think about it now, like there are why you can't meet them in person. Maybe this might be even be a better time because even while staying there, I stayed in the dorm intentionally to meet these other 
people. That was the number <laughs> yeah. one reason. Also, the commute was pretty awesome uh, <laughs> to walk next door. But it yeah. was the the primary goal was to. I knew I was a composer. I knew I wouldn't be in orchestras. I knew uh, the only interaction I'd have would be these classes. So I stayed in the dorm to just be seen and be a presence. Mm-hmm. That is kind of gone in this moment. But to the contrary, though, this this podcast as an example, I feel like I've had more intimate conversations over Zoom and feel more personally attached to people I've talked with maybe for the first time in 90 minutes than I ever had talking with them or maybe bumping into them over two years at Juilliard. So it really can be done. Whenever I people have asked the question, should I go? And I'm like, uh-oh, no. The whole point is to meet people. And if you can't meet people, it's not possible. Then again, what is this? But if not, meeting people and also being right. able to have these intimate moments over Zoom. Maybe less so in the pandemic, um, but even just in general. If someone who's gone through your your journey of not getting into a Juilliard and then not long after teaching at a Juilliard, I do want to note, I'm pretty sure none of the compos- – I'll, I'll fake my notes, but I'm pretty sure none of the composition teachers at Juilliard actually went to Juilliard. And I think even the past couple hmm. we've had have also not – none of them went to Juilliard. So there is something to it. We can You can find your own way. You were someone of your background who's who's still – risen through but kind of skirted aside that traditional uh pathway would you still (laughs) advise college in general or oh yeah definitely yeah Yeah. um absolutely and i mean you know in some ways i'm you know everybody at juilliard has imposter syndrome but i've got it on steroids right because like i literally didn't get into the school (laughs) (laughs) Right. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I, I find myself thinking, oh man, I, I, and oh, so the other thing I should mention is that I don't even have a master's degree. Like I came out of my Whoa. undergrad, it took five years because I did a double major in audio production and music composition. So it took five years, like plus a mm-hmm. summer in there to get all the requirements done. And I, my brain was packed. Like I, I knew I'd taken in so much information. I knew that going right to grad school was not, I wasn't interested. I needed a break from school. And then I got out of school and started working in the dance field and getting commissions and getting more commissions and more and more. And then I moved to New York and... I will say you are one of the most prolific people that I think we've ever had on this podcast, like hands down. And the fact that you even spoke to having imposter syndrome while being on faculty at the Juilliard school is really 
honestly, it's cathartic for me. Like, cause I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not crazy. <laughs> oh no, everybody. Well, not, maybe not everybody there is has imposter syndrome. Yeah, but most but, people do. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. it, it's something you can overcome. Yeah, you just kind of. I mean, I just kind of. I have those thoughts, and basically, it comes down to I'm like, so, so what? Am I going to quit? Mm. <laughs> no. <laughs> so it's like obviously these thoughts aren't helping me at all. Mm-hmm. I either keep going forward or I quit. Right. It like it comes down to like I, I can dwell on those kinds of feelings, but it gets me nowhere. Mm. Right. And if mm-hmm. if I it's like I'm either going to choose to believe that that I am a complete imposter and an utter fraud. And in that case, I, I should stop defrauding who what, what my public? I don't have a public, right? <laughs> <laughs> but like, but then I should quit, right? And I'm like, well, I, but I'm not gonna quit. And I'm here, I'm doing it, so I'll keep going. I'll keep doing the thing. And if you and I, quit, you wouldn't have ever influenced Trevor in the way you have. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really powerful to to hear that kind of thing because it's it's not something, um, it's, it's not something I often get sort of direct feedback on mm. because by the time, I, you know, I'm, I'm like the music guy in the dance division, right? So I'm this weird like outsider. I'm inside, but uh, I also don't do the thing that everybody else there does. I do something different. And it's not like I'm, you know, teaching private music lessons where I can see what effect I've had on on the students. So I often don't know. So it's really like it's it's really a, a powerful experience to hear that 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 I had an effect on you Trevor. It's really awesome. It's um it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but yes, I definitely would recommend college. I think, I think that, you know, another major thing to consider in college is that so much of your education is who you're there with mm-hmm. at any given point in time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so thinking, and, and that can be, an, you know, that can be a reason to go to a conservatory or a reason to not go to a conservatory. You know, I, I know people who have who have, you know, been conservatory kids from Juilliard pre-college, you know, 13 years through their master's and for their doctorate, they actually chose not to go to a conservatory because that's all they've known. Like they've mm-hmm. never taken they've they've never taken classes that are not related, you know, aside from their one liberal arts requirement at Juilliard, right? They they've never had the experience to be around people who do something other than the arts. And so for yeah. them, it makes more sense, you know, whereas for Trevor, it sounds like, you know, the, the experience of being around to enter that conservatory situation. Um, so that's another thing to consider. It's like, and that's, that's what I mean. What, like, what do you want to get out of college? What, do, what are you hoping to have happen there? That's, um, I never thought about great. that. No one ever, no, like that never, it occurred to me like what I wanted to major in and picking a decent, which was not music originally, by the way, picking a, a decent program for audio production, which is what I was was going to school for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also, um, how beneficial was that? I mean, look at it. Your, oh, <laughs> your mixes sound great. Your album sounds great. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. I worked really on hard point. on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting there. I'm just like, oh my god, this is this is like the make like that's something. Uh, a, par, uh, a couple of things, but one of the things you mentioned too is that you are in this weird position. You're at Juilliard. 
and most people know of it as oh it's the music school and it's the school where Robin Williams went but <laughs> um like that that's it and or like oh this is supposed to be really hard to get into but so you're in this this place and yet you're you're over dance and I think that's what is actually that's the selling point. That's the appeal is like he, he's there, but he's doing something interesting. Like that's why it kind of popped in on my radar to like mm. just learn more about you and to be a part of that course. It's like what is it like doing what we do but on the outside and in a, in a different way? Mm-hmm. Something you, you pointed to specifically, and we were joking about the audience, but why you come to mind too is, is as Drew pointed out, you're insanely prolific you've gone through you've done so many things if you counted up the hours it, you know it would crush a vast majority of our uh, composer contemporaries and just <laughs> sheer output and it's it's not like it's getting turned out these are incredibly beautiful thoughtful massively long and intricate pieces of art and maybe looking now and towards the future why it also reminds me a little bit of me, and I don't know if that's something to continue on or to try to evolve in, but the idea of like promoting the music, of getting it out there. It seems like you've you've done all these things, but you don't dwell in the promotion and output. Is that something that's changing in this digital age, like releasing your albums of you? Um, it, it, was it the imposter syndrome? What, what was keeping you back uh, from like pumping the showing the music because i feel i'm in a very similar boat and i'm trying to i'm trying to learn yeah that's a really good question and it's something i've been thinking about a lot lately um one of i don't think it's the imposter syndrome in this case so we've talked quite a bit like about like the upside of collaboration right the downside is that i have spent a large portion of my career making other people's work Right. Like my mm. name's not on the marquee. Right. It's it's, you know, this choreographer music by mm-hmm. it's I have 20 years of press that say things like with an original score by Jerome Begin. <laughs> I have 20 years of useless press, just useless. Mm. Right. That Or rhythmic score by Jerome Begin. Piece for string quartet and electronics by Jerome Begin. Like useless decades of it. Decades of useless press. Um, and another thing is that a lot of the dance pieces I've made in the past, I feel like they don't work without the dance. Something is off with, usually it's with this, how the scale, like how long something goes on or the transitions. Like they don't make sense without the lighting or the movement thing that happened. And maybe I feel that way just because I know them connected to the dance, but I, I think I'm right. I think I'm right in that a lot of them don't work on their own as pieces of music. Mm. And part of me looks back on my career and go and says, oh, I, you know, hindsight is 2020. And I thought like, oh, like I've gained so much from this experience collaborating. And then part of me looks back and goes, I have lost so much because I have not been making my own work and putting it out. Um, and I decided a little while ago to, to try to start remedying that. Um, Cause you know, like, yeah, I've been prolific and I've got, I've been, you know, working steadily since I got out of college in music, which is not, I mean, that's, it's not that, easy. I'm so lucky to have, have had that happen. And mm-hmm. luck plays a huge part. It doesn't matter how talented you are. Um, but 
like no one in the musical world knows who knows who I am. They have no idea who I am. And until now, yeah, until now, <laughs> the, in the world. The, and I've also learned that like being prolific and having a lot of success in the dance world doesn't count in the music world. It mm. doesn't count. It's a it's a weird phenomenon, mm. but it doesn't. I've decided that when I would take dance commissions, that I would always be trying to use them to work with music music ensembles that interested me. Mm. So that I and it's been working because now there are a bunch of people in the New York new music scene who do know who I am because mm. they've played my work, mm. right? And I've gotten them, I've I brought them on to play the work, and that was a really conscious decision. And yeah, I mean, at least once a day. I beat up on myself for not having been putting albums out for the past 15, 20 years. You know, it's, and especially now it's so easy. Like I have DistroKid, like I signed up for DistroKid. Yeah. You can put an Shout album out whatever you want. Yeah. Right. 35 <laughs> bucks a year. Yep. Put as much, as much music out as you want. Yeah. And so I actually have a bunch of things that I'm getting ready to put out. Um, and it's, yeah. I mean, some of, one of them is, um, one of them is coming out through a label. So I don't have to worry about that as much. But oh, that's then, incredible. thanks. The other stuff, um, the other stuff I have, I do have some back stuff that I am going to put out because I'm like, I have this, I should put it out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, and actually that percussion piece, I'm talking to Sandbox Percussion about. We're trying to figure out how to record that during the during the lockdown, while everything's oh, shut yeah. down. Oh. Um, so that that'll hopefully come out. Well, their too. family, they'll get in the same room. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, they they have actually started to. They've started to include each other in their like quarantine circle. In the inner circle. <laughs> yeah. It's in, it's incredible. I mean, why I wanted to bring it up is because I am actively starting it now and I could just tell yeah. by the output like looking, you know, if you're part of my like model career, I was like, "Oh, I feel a lot of similarities in backgrounds and interest in collaborations and I've learned so much from you." And then like looking at like if it all boils down to is like, why isn't this dude famous? You know, <laughs> and part of well, it is for both of us is just not putting it out there. And so I'm in that early stage of like, I've got a backlog, but everything I've done is with someone else. Like yeah. it's time to, uh, you know, like, I guess like uh, put the, you know, the air, airplane going down. I need to put the mask, the oxygen mask on my face first at some point, And then that can help me do bigger, better collaborations. Cause they'll, finally know who I am. <laughs> yes. A thousand times. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, at one point I was just like, I'm this far in my career. And if you search my name on Spotify, nothing comes up. And I was just like, what the fuck have you been doing? <laughs> like, I was so pissed at myself. Right. Yeah. Like so pissed. I think, and really like, what have you been doing? Like what has been this mental barrier for you and and then I realized, okay, that's not entirely fair because it's not like I've been sitting around going, well, I just don't want to put out my. I've been I've been working like been crazy, insane, insane mm -hmm. amount. I've been of music. working like crazy. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, the other thing about putting stuff out is that like you need a good recording of it, especially if there's you know if you're dealing with live ins and and that's expensive, you know. Mm -hmm. So I also haven't like sometimes I can get a decent recording of a piece that I do for a dance score, but usually it's a, a live performance recording. Like if you go on my website, you can listen to a ton of performance recordings, mm -hmm. but you hear people coughing, you hear dancers moving on stage. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not going to release that. So there, there's been some practical, practical considerations and I have to, yeah, I have to like, I think, I think I'm at a healthy balance right now of, of like being really hard on myself going, what's wrong with you? And then, 
And then on the other hand, saying like, but give yourself the credit that, uh, you know, that, that you have been, you have been doing things. You've been putting, you've been extremely, you know, creative and do, outputting creatively for decades, really without stopping. And that's, there's something to that. And I thought, okay, well, it's, it's not too late to turn this ship around, I hope. Jerome, can I say something? Yeah. Um, I really understand how you feel. Uh, and I resonate <laughs> with that, like very deeply. And one thing that I think uh, all that has to change is like, it's it's just a direction. Like you've been going full speed, full full fast in a certain yeah. direction. All you need to do, you have to change anything, just like change what you put out and how you put it out. And it, it, what's so valuable about about the last 15, 20 years of your prolific work is like, you've still been growing as an artist. Yeah. You know, have you heard of the, um, the soul singer named Charles Bradley? No, I don't know Charles Bradley. Charles Bradley. Um, he wrote, so he was, he recently died a few years ago, but he was a, he has a tragic, tragic story. When he was like 15 or 16, he was kicked out of his mom's house. Uh, or his grandmother's house and, and moved up to, to New York city, went homeless because of a, another family dispute and was sleeping in subway cars and was working as a bus boy, uh, just to make ends meet. And then on weekends, uh, he would perform as like this James Brown impersonator named black velvet. He did this for 40 years. He did this for 14 this years. This story sounds, I think I have, this story sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so he was discovered one day doing his black velvet shtick and he's a wonderful singer and you know that it, he was very seasoned in, in that way and then he, after being discovered, created an album, did a world tour, became world famous and enjoyed that for a few years. But if he had quit, if he had like, 36 years in been like, this is not working obviously. Yeah. Right. So, but the thing is, is like maybe at 36 years in, he still needed a little bit more refinement. Maybe he still was figuring out his whole deal. Mm -hmm. And so you have like this wonderful skill now where now that you have distro kid, you just have to turn the faucet, bro. That's all it is, <laughs> man. Yeah. I'm so excited. Uh, yeah. And that's exactly what I'm planning on doing. Like, um, you know, I, I, like, I often felt like I I kept getting to everything late. Like mm. like I you know I moved to New York in 2004 and I'm like when I got here I was like why didn't I move to New York in the 90s? Like what was I doing? Like <laughs> why didn't you know, I buy I, property I, in the West Village? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean I came up, you know, I I grew up from Ohio. I grew up in Ohio, right? I'm from mm -hmm. Ohio. Mm -hmm. And like suburbia Ohio, right? And and New York was not a place that you moved to. New York is this mythic land where big things happen, right? Like, it never occurred to me that, like, you could just go rent an apartment there. <laughs> <laughs> like, for some—but but then, you know, the other hand, I moved to New York in 2004. I started working the day after I got here, playing dance wow. classes around the city— I have never wanted for work here. And maybe had I moved, you know, five years prior to that, mm -hmm. maybe I wouldn't have had such a great time. So mm -hmm. maybe I, I showed up exactly when I, I needed to. I'm not a believer mm -hmm. in destiny or anything like that, but maybe maybe the, the reason I've had a good time here is because I came here when I was 
you know, able to capitalize on it. Yeah, but yeah I that's agree. why I left, man. That's why I left. I couldn't get mm-hmm. enough work. I couldn't pay rent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's rough. But, you know, it's like in terms of turning on the faucet, like when this pandemic hit, I was like, okay, this is, I'm, I'm calling this my unfunded New York solo residency. Yes. Right? So like, see, like all these synths behind me, like, like you want to go hear the Jerome Begins synth album? You can't, it doesn't exist. Why not? <laughs> right? Well, this, I decided like, you know, I, along this line of thinking, I decided in August, I'm doing a synth record. Like, Let's go. I'm doing it. I'm doing a synth record. Maybe it's going to be a four song EP. Maybe it's going to be eight. So who knows? Whatever I, whatever I finish in August, from August 1st until Juilliard starts on August 31st, that's the, that's the record. Brilliant. Maybe I'll get, maybe I'll let myself master it after August. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. that stuff takes <laughs> time. But like, I'm going to, I'm going to get this thing in the can in August. Because like, if, if like, it, you know, if not now during this pandemic when I'm just stuck. So yeah, I agree. Turning on can the faucet. Can we get you back on when it's done? I would love to, I would love <laughs> yeah. to bring you back on. Sure. Promo you. I'd love it. Part of why I wanted to have you on is just seeing like some of these similarities and then seeing you like I knew with the recent album, I'm like, oh, sweet. He's got a new album on. Like, let me go on Spotify. And I was like, it's the only thing on there. And then the light bulb hit me. Oh, he's just me in a few years. Yeah, because (laughs) I when you post Spotify, I'm not there. And like I had one of those moments. Part of it's the pandemic, but right around the same time I was actually with you, Drew, uh, at Nam. And we're walking towards that like tiki hut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah about to crush a margarita. And I'm sitting in there. I'm texting with someone. He's like, "Hey, we got this documentary coming up. You know, do you have like a website? What what can we send them?" And I was just like, "Oh, you know, my usual. I gotta. I'll send a Dropbox or whatever. Because you know, I put off. I've been working with on so many projects. I've never like paused to like do do the work necessary to get it out there. And and my yeah. friend who I've worked with on multiple films, who's just like. Well, we know how awesome you are, but how are other people supposed to know? And that just hit me like a knife. I was walking towards the tiki yeah. tiki hut, sad because I realized, like, oh, oh, this, this is sad. important. I had been going by off of kind of like luck and chance. Like there was just always another project, always something coming, always another job. But for the first time, really going to LA where people didn't know me, I just realized like the people just wouldn't work with me partially because they just didn't know I was around. So like seeing your, your work coming out there, I'm excited for you because I know the moment they discover you, it's just going to be, a, it's just a flurry of like new, new, big, fun and exciting projects because you, you like, you're opening up the Pandora's box, the Jerome's box of, of new <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I'm really excited too. Um, I was, I was super excited to put it out and this, you know, this, this piece I had, I already had, you know, it, it was actually a dance commission, this piece. Um, I was going to ask. Yeah. It, it, and I already, you know, and it was a recorded score. So it's like, I already had it. It wasn't mixed for a record. It was mixed for a theater situation. So I had to, I had to remix it and then master it. Um, and then there were certain things that were like looped and cued off of, so I had to like set, you know, timings of stuff and, mm-hmm. and, um, 
But I, I was like, I have this. I'm really proud of it. I have to put, I have to put it out. And there, you know, having gone so long without doing that, there, there is a, a scariness about that too. It's like, especially when you release something these days, like, you know, I, I, anytime someone tells me they listen to the record, I'm like so honored. There's, you're competing with so much media. And I feel like that's just tripled during the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? Of, of how many, how many options people have to listen to something. So the fact that people even listen to it is, is just, it means so much to me. Even listening to the, the, the full thing. Cause like, I feel like like how often do we sit down and actually like listen and like listen right. to something twice? And part of it, at least what's been nice about the podcast is I make that a rule. I listen to the guest stuff. Uh, yeah. But in particular with yours, because I saw you were posting about it and I've always been excited about your work and your projects. So I checked it out and then revisited and I already messaged, <laughs> texted you about this though, is that it's like you, you helped me get through tax season <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because taxes this long drawn out thing, and I was like, I I felt like I was doing something like so dramatic and so interesting, and yet I'm just sitting there in a Google spreadsheet, really sad, you know. Just like, <laughs> but in the zone. Uh, even talking specifically, because I, you know, what what made you? It was because of this particular piece you were proud of. Like, w- w- this is the first thing out there. Like, did you? Were you more selective about what that first one was going to be? Because that's another added pressure. Like, you know, you're emerging. The curtain is rising. Just like how you approach your pieces. Like, what is the first thing right. they see? What is the experience? You right. chose this. What what kind of went into that calculation? Well, there, there actually is some other stuff on Spotify, but it's under Tranimal, which was a band I had with me and this electric cellist. Um, mm. But uh, Great name. Thank you. The... Um, yeah, we have a film score that we did, and there's also a, just a, a pop record we did. Um, one of the so one some of the concerns were just practical. Like I had this; it was recorded. I recorded the string quartet in my in that Greenpoint space I used to have. You know, it's like, but it all like I had it recorded. You know what I mean? And it sounded good. Like there are pieces I would love to put out. I have an electric guitar quartet that I wrote for a choreographer Whoa. that I'm super proud of, but like. I only have a live performance recording of it and it's, Mm. it needs to get, it needs to get in a studio, which means that needs to pay for people and pay a studio, you know? And uh, yeah. So it's like, there were practical considerations. Like I have this, I can just put it out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I decided with this one not to look for a label um, because I, I I thought, you know, there's, it's not like I'm going to be touring this. Right, I, I can't tour it unless I get a string quartet and a couple <laughs> other musicians. Um, so it's it didn't need like that kind of support, um, and I, so I, I was like, well, I'm just I'm just going to self release it. But it, it it was something a that that I was proud of, and b that I had I had the ability to put it out. Whereas a lot of the work I've done recently, like you can hear it on my website, but I could I would never release that like. Because it's mm-hmm. it's not up to standard in terms of it wasn't recorded well, you know. I'm like pil- I'm pulling a feed off a board and doing some like quick and dirty mastering on it, and and it sounds fine to listen to. It's got like people have have listened to stuff on my site and it's led to work, so it's been helpful for that. But in terms of like putting it out as a record, it feels it feels um, it feels irresponsible actually. You know, it feels like I haven't put in the work. 
for you, the mm. listener, to enjoy it. Which was maybe garbage thinking on my part, but it's <laughs> it, it just feels like it's not up to par. It's not you know it doesn't meet the standard of what a of a, a, a record should sound like. I think that every type of content in every stage of its creation has a place on the internet. Yes. And so one thing that I think when I consult people uh, through social media is um, if you're just getting some sketches, put it on Twitter. Like if you if you if it's right. like a uh, an excerpt of a dope moment from a live performance, put it on Facebook or put it on YouTube. You know. And yeah. I think the high quality, like when people you have to think of the psychology of what people, how people consume that content. And right. on Spotify, it is very much the auditory experience. So I understand why you wouldn't want to put it on Spotify. But I, I really encourage you not just to have it on your website, but think about ways you can atomize it, atomize a moment, and then figure out how to, to put it out on these other platforms. Because uh, if you are casting a wider net, and you're using the same content that you already spent painstaking time to create, uh, there is a way for you to get it out there and get people to be introduced to it. That so. is incredible advice. I'm going to do that. Okay. Well, see, that's why people pay that's... me the big bucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even oh, going, going off of this, like um, one thing that as I'm going through this journey now is is we think about with these different platforms, like not all of them are auditory or that's not the right. first thing you do. Like I scroll through Instagram with the sound off, you know, I'm uh, headphones. Like, so one thing that's, I've been trying to figure out how to do now where we just had on the bio writer and now thinking about finally releasing things. How do you describe your music? Oh, words. Oh, it's the worst. Cause you've done so many, my problem is I've done so many things in collaboration. Is yeah. it's like, what am I gonna do? You know, I just did a, a a corporate hospital documentary, but then I write a really sad piece about gun violence, and then the next thing's a a funny thing, and then the next thing's a right. an action horror score. Like, how do you, you, if you had to describe it? I mean, I'm not looking for the specific thing, but what is your process now yeah. that you know, like you're introducing them before they've even heard your sounds? How might you? describe the totality of your music. Yeah. So this is something I really struggle with. And right now, actually, for the those remade, I'm I'm in the process of putting together a write-up to start sending to reviewers and blogs, right? To see if okay. and and writing writing about your own music is so hard. Um the first thing I would say is that if you have anybody who can who can like either give you feedback or or who's willing to work with you on writing it. Uh, the one, the piece that I'm going to be releasing on a label is with a pianist named David Friend. It's another really long um, piece. It was a dance score. It's for piano, like live processed piano. Um, and we were working on um, both a, a grant application and a pitch to the label. And he wrote like three sentences about the music and said it way better than I ever could have. So I think there's something about it not being yours. So either write something up and show it to somebody 
who doesn't know the music. Um, that that's one. Talk to our friend John Hong. Ah, that's one. Th- I haven't listened to that episode. I saw I saw it pop, he, pop up on the feed. He'll 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 fix it up for you. you got he's got your. It's back. now his job. Awesome. So it's now it's his now job. His job. <laughs> yeah. He's a copywriter. So, <laughs> but the way the way I approached when as I've been working on this write up, the way I approached it was okay. Let me let me first like there there are some you know facts you can say about this record right that it involves like I can talk about the musical forces involved like you know live. Like electronically processed string quartet, soprano, operatic soprano, keyboard instruments, synthesizers, and beats, right? I can talk about that. There's the facts. That's the easy part. Mm -hmm. But then I went through track by track and wrote about, I just wrote about like what happens in each track, both on a fact-based musical level and emotionally what happens in each track. And I just went through that process, even if I wasn't writing complete sentences. And that gave me a bunch of, like a pool of language to draw from in then writing up about the record, right? Mm-hmm. When I, like, oh, that's a really, inter- that, that phrase wor- plays really well outside of anybody who, who, somebody who has not heard the record. Like, this is an interesting phrase or an interesting way to talk about what this is. In terms of talking about, like, the bulk of my music, like in a bio, Oh, it's hard. Something I I talk about, um, I talk about my interest in the theater and I talk about um, the way that I use, that I put so much focus on using electronics to process the sound of chamber instruments, chamber music instruments. Um, And I talk about, I talk about how I forget the actual phrase that's in my bio right now, but it says something like that I'm I'm I I'm interested in or I'm draw from or pull from like aspects of form and construction that are apparent in that in classical mm-hmm. music um and the ability of the hook in pop music and rhythm in pop music to get the kinetic response of the body to music. I talk about things like like that that kind of pull in my diverse area of of influences so that somebody it's hard because you have to you you need you need to write it for somebody who doesn't know anything about you and you know a lot about you. So it's really hard to to do yeah. that. <laughs> but I I start with facts and then I start to write more colorful language and I kind of just build a a like a pool of phrases. And then I start to put that into something coherent. That's brilliant. Need, it's I'll, hard. I'll definitely take that. That's, that's great. And then, yeah, if you can show it to somebody, um, then, you know, th- that's helpful. That's really helpful where they can go. Well, what, what is this phrase? Cause like it also, we've all read bios with those just meaningless phrases in them. Right. Or, or descriptions <sighs> mm-hmm. with these meaningless phrases, yep. like really wordy and ornate but meaningless (laughs) or it's it's describing the theory of the piece and it's just like or it's describing the theory of every piece ever written you know it's like yeah fast slow fast (laughs) it gets loud and then it gets soft (laughs) very you know yeah very inventive and forward thinking started soft got louder got softer (laughs) Talking about a specific track, just to like mm-hmm. like go in and like one that like stood out to me because I remember while I'm doing my taxes, 
and I just kind of had like a aha. Uh-huh, I had to like sit back and like stop doing the taxes. Uh, I'm gonna which, put that in my bio. During more the compelling than taxes. <laughs> more compelling. Yeah, you you beat it. You know, IRS, and then those yeah. remain uh, <laughs> right there. But uh, one for the title, it's awesome. But like the kind of like another similar to the percussion quartet, we're going through this journey, and then kind of out of the blue, this moment happens. Was airy jam theism, uh-huh. which of course is a great one an awesome title but two it going through like kind of like the journey of a piece it's like nine to ten minutes is that's a, very a that's long a that piece is a journey. piece uh and and but but that's how i describe it's like i i loved the journey uh-huh. we're always talking about the journey of our careers of our life of our music of our art and it really kind of like just distilled that down to one track because i'm sitting there thinking like this is it like this is this embodies a lot of the different um, types of types of like musics and and arts and things in your life like choosing right and wrong it's both feels like I can understand it at the very outset but yet I want more and more and it and it mm-hmm. goes and then it reminded me the kind of metaphor uh, for this piece in my mind was uh, the movie Annihilation it stars Natalie Portman I don't know if you I saw it I have not it. seen it you, you don't have to <laughs> but it's so she's amazing. So she's great in this. The premise of the story is it's it's a little weird. It's by the also by the creators of uh, Ex Machina. Okay. Um, very interesting score. Lots of dope synths, particularly at the end. But it's a little trippy. And the premise is some like unknown or alien or something. There's just this growing area around this lighthouse, and it keeps expanding. And it, it's really like shiny and pretty. They call it the shine. And the premise is. It's, People keep going in and no one's coming out, but it's growing. So the military's there and they send in the scientists. The problem with the shine is, and what's happening, um, and these aren't plot plot points, but is this constant evolution, like unre- unburdened and unrestricted evolution. So like an alligator having the teeth of a bear, but then it eats something and then it takes on this other. So these flowers and people turning into trees and uh-huh. just this unregulated evolution and so my metaphor instead of going in for this piece uh airy jam theism is like instead of going into the shine and and not returning and being exposed to this pain it's as if i entered the shine of unregulated evolution and there was a dance party (laughs) (laughs) because it's it's evolving there's all these elements going on and then suddenly it's it's a damp. We're 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 in the yeah. Club, it's like a club rager at the still end with string quartet evolving. Yeah. <laughs> and I I I love it. Oh, I love thanks. It. Like this, it's what we're going I'm for. Glad. Yeah. Th- yeah. Um. That that piece was the hardest one to write. Um, in terms of like making it for the dance, like that was the one that took the longest to like constant there's i think i think there are like wow 36 different logic sessions on that piece wow um and some of those have mixes inside them that were you know just version after version trying to get it trying to get it to work um because it 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 is a that track is a journey and it you know the episodes in that music come from the episodes that were happening choreographically so like I wasn't making those decisions about when like when there's like a change of state, right? But to get it to work musically and to incorporate 
the techno stuff and the hip hop stuff with the string quartet stuff was tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, without it, without it, to, to make it feel like it, it was all supposed to be there. Because yeah, they're so di- distinct and so so vibrantly different from each mm-hmm. other. It's like, how do you find the through line? It's kind of like, I don't know, I've been studying a lot of jazz theory. So it's like, how do you go from this really crazy, uh, fully diminished seventh chord with a sharp 13 to like another chord? It's like, how do you find that through line that yeah. actually works? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's so dope. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I wanted us to like, we'll start to wrap this up because as always, you're one of us, which means we right. could go on forever. But I just wanted to present it in a story, the the one of us, <laughs> but p- bringing it up in the sense of a story. So back to our, our through line of this choreographers and composers class is that I remember with my piece. So it's going well. And part of the thing we were warned at the beginning from the faculty, which I think was wise and should have been warned was just like, Hey, already enough is going to be happening. There's going to be costume lights and dance. Like it's very hard to have voice interact with dance. And it's going to be very hard to have for just timings to have electronics interact with dance. And of course, to me, that meant I'm going to do both of those things. And <laughs> against the the actual wise advice. And so one of the things you did early on was like encourage me to go through this. And I remember I had not shown to any of the teachers the the vocals at all. Right. Everyone had heard just the acoustic recordings. I hadn't actually showed really what the concert was about because I wasn't comfortable with it yet myself. And then, you know, the, the clock's ticking. As you mentioned, that open collaboration's got to get narrowed down something. And me and uh, my choreographer, Novo, were like, okay, uh-oh. We couldn't, there came to a point we could not avoid showing it. And so we were kind of like wisely warned, like, you know, I don't think you need this. But I remember you specifically were like, yes, like, go for it. It was an opportunity. Just a little mm-hmm. thing, like it's something you wouldn't remember, just a little bit. Just, like, you, you should do this. And so fast forward to the getting right there towards the performance. It's tech week. It's about to be five shows. And something struck me. Like the this particular piece uh, just dealt with a lot of serious subjects. It was, it was very abstract. There's words. There's phrases. Just how the dance. It's, uh, and, and I was like a typical composer. I was like, the program notes, they need, they're going to, if they read this, it'll give them the context to absorb this and it'll mean so much to them. There were no, this was the first concert I've ever had where there were no program notes. And I was like, oh God, it was the end of the world. There were no program notes. I was screwed. How are they going to understand my brilliant concept? Ah, whatever. <laughs> and uh, so I'm sitting out there and we're, we're trying to submit our, just like the, the title. And I had this title, it was called Extended Family. It had to do with a letter, one of the gun surviving shooters from one shooting wrote to the father. And so it was called Extended Family. And you walk out, I'm sitting there in front of those really goofy Juilliard steps that are uneven and supposed to make yeah. noise and music, but <laughs> don't. And, and you just sit down beside me. You're like, okay, like um, you know, lower, lower, lower this frequency range a little, the electronics are too high. So like a technical thing, I was like, which was the right, <laughs> the, the singer needs to cut through. And also I think you should change the title. Did I? I don't remember this. <laughs> and you were, you were absolutely correct. It was, 
I had it was the wrong title. Like they weren't gonna have any program notes. And you're like you're like I think because of the seriousness of this piece, like that type of title is going to give them a different feeling than the one you're gonna want to have. Yeah. And I sat back there, and you're just like you just said like picks you know maybe pick something that she says like just find some other phrase and i switched it to everything went quiet because that was just one of the key mm. words and phrases different. so mm -hmm. yeah. yeah like and he and he's and it, and it really did i would not have done that i wouldn't have thought about that i had stayed absorbed still in in the conception of the piece what had like the phrase that had driven me towards it and i changed it and so fast forward you know you had you had instilled like care and craft into other people's art like you knew you were like wanting to help us present this in our best way and so my biggest memory was leaving one of those performances and i get in the elevator and of course no one's going to remember who i who i am because it's all dark and you know it's just a bow we don't we don't speak at all and i get in the elevator with just someone who was leaving the audience uh who had just left the performance and she's she just starts crying and <laughs> Just like I could just tell, like we have a moment, I start crying. And so I'm riding this elevator with someone I don't know <laughs> wow. who's just crying. And then we look at each other, the elevator opens. It's the Juilliard elevator. It takes like 12 <laughs> minutes to go one floor. And so this is a very long moment. And then we just walk out. And for me, that was one of the most influential mm. moments of my life because the key thing was that person had no idea what the piece was actually right. about. You can't derive it at all, like the specifics of it. There was no program notes. There was no conversation. And I think what you had done and kind of like me learning and experiencing something of that, it's just like creating an experience. You talked about how you wanted to create moments in your music. My most memorable moments of that piece can't be found in the score. It's the two bars of rest. That is the best musical moment is the two bars of rest that happen in the middle of it with the electronics mm -hmm. playing out. And then the, the look of the singer's face for three minutes before she sings. She's just standing she was so good. you hear her voice in the speaker. Like these little moments. Oh yeah, she's incredible. But I had never thought about that until interacting with you. Mm. And so to me, with to figure out that right and wrong, that right collaboration, creating special moments, that was when it finally clicked for me that it was possible. And I finally started to make the right choices. <laughs> so... I give you ample amount of credit. I'm excited for what you have in the future. I'm excited for for this surge and the emergence of yourself as you as your own man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the podcast, Jerome. My Seriously, pleasure. It was, was it was great wonderful. to hang out with you too. It was really a great conversation. And um yeah, I like I've I've learned a ton of stuff listening to your podcast. One of the things that I was well aware of, but I, I articulated to somebody after listening to some of your earlier episodes is that people who are in music schools right now, their teachers have never had to navigate the art slash media landscape that their students will be going into to an extent never before seen, mm -hmm. right? One could argue that things are always changing, but the amount of, of change you know, there will be there will be a small percentage who go, you know, on the orchestra track, right? There will be a small percentage, a very small percentage, who make a, a career as a soloist performing somewhere. There will be a percentage who go on to teach. But for all those other people, it's 
no one's path is the same, right? There are a few prescribed paths. And and now that landscape looks so different than anything any anybody who's teaching now had to navigate. Mm-hmm. And so I think your podcast is a really valuable resource for, for people who are currently trying to figure this out and mm-hmm. who are... Um, about to be figuring this out as they as they come up on their graduation. So I think I think it's really great what you guys are doing. And you know, you. It, it's also it's also great that it's not a career focused podcast that it's also about the two of you hanging out. <laughs> you know, it it gives it like it, it gives it an uh it it gives it an this word is overused, but it gives it an authenticity. Hmm. Um because it it actually it, it doesn't give it an authenticity. It is authentic. It is you two hanging out, talking about things that matter to you, which include navigating your careers, mm-hmm. um, but also include, you know, <laughs> movies and hanging on, hating on Game of Thrones and things like uh. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well deserved. Yeah, well deserved. <laughs> awful. <laughs> yeah, awful. They, they chose the <laughs> they wrong. <laughs> as far as they needed that you. Was- they needed you to give them some feedback for a collaboration. They needed somebody, someone in there to give them honest <laughs> feedback. But thanks again for coming on. So we'll have already said it in the intro, but uh, what, where, where else can we find you? Oh, uh, Instagram, my website. My website is easy. You can find everything that links to me on my website, which is just my name, JeromeBegin.com. Um, that's the easiest place. Go check them out. I'm on Facebook. Happy to friend people. I don't spend any time on Facebook. It drives me crazy. Instagram, I, I actually smart. I Good. I do things on. So that's a that's a better place to connect. And that, that's Jerome Begin as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So go follow him on Instagram. Go shout at him in the void and Facebook and check out his website, y'all. Yeah. Listen <laughs> to the record and and look for the look for the synth record coming up. Yes. Yes. Those uh, Ooh, those synths remain. and beats. And. Uh, yeah, give me some beats. I need some beats. <laughs> there, there will be beats headed your way. Okay, looking forward to it. All right. I'm Thank so you ready. Thanks for coming on. Thanks again for Thank coming on. Have a great one, man.